Welcome to this week's sermon at Village Presbyterian Church. At Village, we seek to be shaped by the life of Christ, to practice authentic friendship, and serve the world. You're invited to join us at either our Mission Campus or our Antioch Campus. For now, we hope you hear a word for your own life in this sermon. Pray with me. Gracious God, our our boldest faith claim is not that you exist. That's not so big. It's that you who live beyond the stars and dwell before time would choose to speak to us. But we hunger for your word, for your word is life for us. So we are here, O God. We are listening. Speak to us, we pray. In Christ's name, amen. So we're in week four of reading through Mark's gospel, and we're all ready to verse 14. So we're reading verses, chapter 1, verses 14 through 20. Um, listen to this. Now, after John was arrested... Jesus came to Galilee proclaiming the good news of God and saying, The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. As Jesus passed along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you fish for people. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And he went a little farther. He saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, who were in the boat mending the nets. Immediately he called them and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God shall stand forever. Amen. In John Irving's masterful novel, A Prayer for Owen Meany, Owen is a quirky, brilliant, often obnoxious kid with a wrecked voice. But most unusual about Owen is his unshakable conviction that he lives his life called by God. He says he is God's instrument. Even as a child, this was his self-understanding. He was called by God. His best friend, Johnny Wheelwright, says this. He said, how could it ever have occurred to me that a fellow 11-year-old was thinking such things? That Owen Meany was a chosen one was the farthest thing from my mind. I have a lot of sympathy for Johnny Wheelwright. I don't know that we often think of ourselves as being called by God. Diogenes Allen taught theology at Princeton Seminary. He once said, when it comes to, uh, when it comes to the big spiritual matters, I often find myself at a loss. Maybe not what you'd expect a theology professor to say, He said, I found myself wondering again and again what it would be like to actually live every moment in my life aware that I'm in the presence of God. And then he said, not that I would want that, 
to be aware that I'm always in the presence of God would be rather daunting. (laughs) I agree. To put Professor Allen's self-assessment in the language of today's text, we seldom think of ourselves as being called by God. But we should, because we are. Jesus comes into Galilee and announces the reason he's here. The kingdom of God has come near. The promised day of God draws near. And the first thing he does is he sees these ordinary fisher folk and he goes to them and says, I want you to come and follow me. There's a promised day and I want to show you how to get there. And so they drop their nets and follow him. That's exactly what they do. It says, Jesus saw them casting their nets into the sea. And then kind of as a parenthetical statement, Mark looks at us and says, they are fishermen. For a long time, I wondered if Mark worried about the intelligence of the future church, that we would not be able to connect the dots, that those who are casting their nets in the sea are fishermen, that we might confuse them for part of the IT team or baristas or something, that we might not know who they actually are. But if I understand the text, it's not our confusion that Mark is addressing, it's theirs. You see, when Mark tells us they are fishermen, Mark is telling us how they understand themselves. They they understand themselves by what they do. They understand themselves by how they make a living. Their worldview is shaped by their politics and by their economic engagement. They, They are fisher folk. That's who they are. In short, they're not people who understand that their lives are defined by a call from God. It's perhaps a rare thing for us to think of ourselves as called by God. Several years ago, I read an interview with Steve Reinemans. At the time, he was dean of the business school at Wake Forest University, and prior to that had been the CEO of PepsiCo. He's also Presbyterian. And Reinemans was reflecting. He said, you know, when I think about my own work, I don't tend to use the language of call. I don't say that I'm called to the business world. And then he, then he sort of elaborated. He said, you know, I don't know that business people are very comfortable using the language of church any more than most pastors I know are comfortable using the language of business. Maybe we can learn something from each other. But I think Reinemann identifies something that's pretty common for us. We tend to compartmentalize our lives, and faith has its own department, and work has its own department, and other things have their own compartment. We we keep faith segregated from much of our lives, which is just another way of saying we don't tend to view our lives as a call from God, that Like Professor Allen, we don't tend to think of living every moment in the presence of God. We don't tend to think that God has expectations for us or needs of us or hopes and dreams for us. But Mark says Jesus saw these ordinary folk, and that's all they were, just ordinary folk, folk just like you and me. And they dropped their nets. He called them, and they dropped their nets, and they 
followed him. But those two things, dropping the nets and following, they go hand in hand. I, I think when Mark says they dropped their nets, it wasn't just they set their fishing rod down. It's they began to let go a little bit of how they had previously understood themselves. They allowed the possibility that they could be defined not by their place in the world, but by their place in God's heart. Not, not by their work in the world, but by the way that God sees them. In other words, they're striving. They're, they let go a little bit of what is to give room for what might be. And if they're not really believing that they're called by God, they at least want to believe that they're called by God. And they take the step, first steps of the journey. Of course, as Professor Allen says, that's quite daunting. As Johnny Wheelwright says, being chosen is often the farthest thing from our minds. So two things about this. Two things about this. The first, they drop their nets to follow. Calling requires something of us to let go a little bit of what is, to give room for what might be. It's not always a big thing. Part of what we let go is how we think of ourselves. We, we give room to allow ourselves to imagine that we are called by God. Think, think about these disciples. Think about what they knew and what they didn't know in this moment. They did not know everything that Jesus would teach them. They did not know his deeds of power. They did not know how he would suffer for them. They surely did not know that God would raise him up. All of that was for another day. All of that was further down the journey. What they knew in this moment is that he had interrupted their day and said, there's a promise day, and I want to show you how to get there. And they dropped their nets, and they took a step. That's all they did. It's what, it was what was theirs to do this particular day. I know that, um, I know we're in football playoffs. Did you, did you know that? I'm asking because you're here. Did you, did you know that? That's, um, uh, I know that we're in football, but I, but I have a baseball image in my head. So pardon me, all right? I just want to clarify that I'm not, I'm not, you know, lost or anything. I, but I have a baseball image for this sermon, and the baseball image is small ball. Uh, in 2014 and 15, when the Royals were in the World Series, those two years, from, they, they played small ball. If you don't know what small ball is, it's, it's not relying on the three-run home run to, to change the score with one swing in the bat. It's a lot of smaller things. It's, it's laying down a bunt, a lost art. It's working a walk, a, a, a lost ego. It's, it's, uh, it's uh, if you're making it out, make sure you advance the runner to the next base it's it's going the opposite field it's little small things not the big explosion just doing a little bit and keeping the line moving as they like to say and here's the thing the small things add up they add up I talk about this because I think sometimes when it comes to faith it's a lot of small ball not every day is a big day for justice. Not every day 
is a huge day for righteousness. Uh, those days come. Those days come. But most days are small ball. It's just one more act of kindness. It's one more gesture of grace. It's one more effort to try to forgive. It's, it's, it's one more prayer to be able to lay down the burden that I can't seem to shake. It's small ball. But it adds up. It adds up, and it becomes the journey. And all of that begins by giving ourselves room to trust that we are called by God. Senator John Danforth, um, uh, Episcopal priest and three-time senator from Missouri, uh, he spoke here at Village uh, over a decade ago, and he shared a story when he was here. He said he went to an Ash Wednesday service. It was a noon service, so he went middle of the day and received the imposition of ashes, the sign of the cross and ash on his forehead, and, and took the sacrament. And then as he went back to his car, and I don't remember if he was going back to his office at Bryan Cave or if he was going back to the Senate, but either way, when he got back to his car, he looked in the rearview mirror, and he could see the ash on his forehead and he just retrieved a handkerchief he said and he removed it and he said I think I was a little embarrassed to go back with this sign of my faith on my forehead he said but as soon as I removed it I regretted any reluctance to go out into the world with the sign of my faith on my forehead. And then he said this. I want to get this right. Then he said this. I am a Christian and I'm an Episcopal priest, not just on Sunday and not just when I am in church, but every minute of every day wherever I go. I brought the totality of myself to public office. When I entered the Senate, I did not check my religion at the door. I am a Christian every moment of every day, wherever I go. That, I think, is a description of what it is to be called. To trust that you're called, or at least to want to trust that you're called. And that's the calling that greets us each morning, and it's daunting. But there's a second thing about the text that I think may help. And the second thing about the text is that this story does not start with these fisher folk. It, it doesn't start with them. They're just minding their own business. They are casting their nets and mending their nets. They're doing the things that the day is about, or at least what they assumed the day was to be about. And into that ordered life, Jesus intrudes and calls and says, there's something more, there's something bigger, there's something you're missing, and I'd like to show you how to get there. Will you come and follow me? There's a promised day toward which we're living. It is... It is... The, the call of God kind of interrupts sometimes what we assume the day is about. So when I was in elementary school, I played football. I'm just 
taking a beat to allow the absurdity of that image to sink in with you a little bit, all right? I, I, I was a tight end, actually, which meant theoretically I could catch a pass, but mostly what I did is just block or, or, or didn't. Um, and we played our games. We played our games at the field at the elementary school, um, which meant there were no bleachers. Uh, there were no goal posts. There weren't even yardage markers on the field. We just set like cones up, you know, down there and hoped that you were inbounds and whatnot. So, so we, we played, but the last game of the season was played in an actual stadium, and like there were bleachers that went up like into the clouds, and there were lights, and there were actual goalposts, and there were yardage markers on the field, and when you walked on the field, you kind of felt professional. You did. Like maybe if it were Sunday, you'd be on TV. Um, at least that's the way I thought it was going to feel, but... The week of that game, I was just playing football in the front yard with some buddies, and I ran into a tree. Um, now, this was not a common occurrence for me, but my parents would admit that they were not surprised. And the result of my encounter with the tree is I had a goose egg on my forehead, quite, quite large, a, a knot on, on my head. And the pediatrician, who was a friend of my dad's, said, um, Tom can't play in the game with that. He can't play. Don't even let him put on the helmet. I was devastated. No stadium. The night before the game, the coach called me and said, I understand you can't play. I've been up all night redoing the plays. <laughs> that, 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 was, that was a lie. Um, and he, he said, uh, but I need you to suit up and I need you to come because I've got a job for you. I said, okay, coach. So I went to the game. I had my little T-shirt with my number on it, sand shoulder pads. I go to, go to the game and he hands me a clipboard and on the clipboard with masking tape, he's written assistant coach. And he said, okay, Coach R, here's what I need you to do. I need you to keep up with the score. I said, well, don't they do that on the scoreboard thing right there? He said, yeah, but that can be wrong. You, you don't want to trust that. Make sure you keep up with the score. Okay, Coach. And keep up with the timeouts. Okay, I can do that. And he said, most importantly, don't get too far away from me. Stay pretty close so that if I have other coaching duties, I can give them to you easily. So sadly, this was the peak of my athletic career. But you understand why I was proud, right? Because I was chosen. And you understand, I was chosen not because of what was in me, but because of what was in this coach. Don't miss it. The story doesn't start with the disciples. Calling stories never start with those who are called. They always start with the caller. So imagine this. The God who fashioned the universe, the God who's lived before time and beyond the stars, calls you. Even our calling is grace. Johnny Wheelwright said, Owen Meany always knew he was called by God. But who thinks about themselves that way? 
Well, you should. Because you are. Pray with me. Gracious God, we believe. Help our unbelief. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon at Village Presbyterian Church. Learn more about us at villagepres.org. And we invite you to join us again next week.